in the humor section of a Christian publication called Christian Reader, Clara Null of Oklahoma City wrote this, For years we lived in a small town with one bank and three churches. Early one Monday morning, the bank called all three churches with the same request. Could you bring in Sunday's collection right away? We're out of $1 bills. <laughs> in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, there is a story of a woman who didn't even have a dollar bill to contribute to God. But Jesus praised her for giving more than everyone else combined of those who were giving that day. And in this passage, Jesus teaches His disciples, which means us, that less actually given, if it represents all that one has, is better than more if that more is given out of one's abundance and surplus. Look with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. And if you're able, please stand as we read this passage from the Scripture. <clears throat> the Bible says, beginning in verse 41, that Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling His disciples to Him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Thank you. Please be seated. <clears throat> now this passing incident in the temple has a very powerful and important lesson for all of us. It teaches us that what matters to God is not so much the extent of one's gift, but rather the extent of one's devotion as it is reflected in the extent of one's gift. And when we leave here today, I hope each of us will be not just partly, but wholly devoted and committed to God with all that we have. The first question I want to pose from this text is, when is less really more? Jesus, the Lord of the treasury, was watching people as they gave their offerings into the treasury of the temple. And He still does that, by the way. Your contributions are being monitored, not by me, but by my boss. And that's what's really important. Most people wouldn't want me to do it. A, a study of 13 denominations in America, including Southern Baptists, found that, quote, most church members do not want the pastor to know how much individual members contribute to the church. And I'm sure that's because they don't want to be treated as special because they give so much. Right? Uh, something tells me that may not be it. But it doesn't matter what I or anyone else knows. It matters that Jesus knows. He watches us 
as we bring our gifts and put them into His treasury. According to the Mishnah, which is the written collection of Jewish oral traditions, there were 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles in the temple against the wall in the court of the women. Now that doesn't mean only the women were expected to give. The court of the women was the place in the temple where any Israelite could go. The court of the Gentiles was where anyone, even Gentiles, could go. Within that was the court of the women. Within that was the court of Israel where only Israelite men could go. And then the holy place and the holy of holies where the priests and the high priests were only admitted. So there were these 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles there and people would come and drop their contributions in. Now, some say that different receptacles had different purposes, sort of like uh, designated funds, I suppose. But apparently there were many who made a big show of their giving. Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 6. When you give, don't sound a trumpet before you in the streets to get the attention of men. I wonder if there's a connection between that and the trumpet shape of the receptacles, who's to say? But this widow was very poor, it says in verse 42. The word means abject poverty. She had barely enough to survive. That's what it would seem. And her gift was two small, thin copper coins known as lepta. They were worth one-sixty-fourth of a denarius apiece. A denarius was a day's wage. So she had one-thirty-second of a day's wage to give, and she gave it. She gave what she had, and Jesus praised her, saying that she put in more than all the others, literally more than all the others combined, because she put in all that she had. Now it's significant that she had two coins because she could have put in just one and kept one for herself. And that would have been a 50% contribution. Wow, that goes above and beyond, doesn't it? No, she put in both of them, all that she had to live on, Jesus says. And Jesus knew it. It represented her total commitment to God. It was springing from what was in her heart, her desire to please God, her love for God motivated her to give that. And Jesus knew, Jesus knew her heart. In the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel, we know that passage that says, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. And Jesus knew her heart. And He knew the hearts of the others who were giving. And He knows our hearts. If He were to comment on what we give, what you give, what would He have to say today, having watched you contribute to His treasury? So, when is less really more? Well, less can be more when it represents everything we have, as it does in the heart and the life of this very poor widow. But let's ask the opposite question. When is more really less? The Scripture says, many threw in large amounts. But of course, there's a difference between a large amount 
and a sacrificial gift. And apparently these who were throwing in large amounts weren't really sacrificing all that much. If I wrote a check for $100,000 and put it in the offering plate, if it didn't bounce, <laughs> that would be a large gift. But if I still had $20 million in my bank account, in my checking account, that wouldn't be all that much of a sacrifice, would it? I heard on the news this week that Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, and I guess he was the richest man in the world before he got his divorce. Uh, that has a negative impact on such things. But I heard in the news that he has contributed $100 million for the relief efforts in Hawaii after these wildfires. And that made the news, of course. It's a huge gift, tremendously large. But he's got billions and billions still in the bank. He can give $100 million a whole lot easier than I could give $100,000. He'll never even miss it. A large gift... Big gifts get big attention from men, but big sacrifices get the Lord's attention. When we show that we love Him enough to deprive ourselves of some luxury, some essential even, for His sake and for His kingdom's sake, the important thing is how much you give of what you have. And by the way, lest you think so, not all rich people give big gifts. In fact, uh, oftentimes it's quite the opposite. I found an example, and there are many others I could cite, but back in 1998, Al Gore of Tennessee was the Vice President of the United States. And that year he was ridiculed mercilessly when his tax return revealed that he had contributed only $353 to charity out of whatever they pay the Vice President of the United States, whatever he made with all those years as Senator, etc., etc. And though he's a Democrat, we could cite Republicans who've done just the same thing. Not all rich people give large gifts. Research has shown that higher income American Christians give less as a percentage of household income than poorer American Christians. In the course of the 20th century, as our personal disposable income quadrupled, the percentage donated by American Christians actually declined. The wealthier we seem to get, the less inclined we seem to give. Well, needless to say, Jesus is not impressed. Even when the gift is large and impressive to men, if the sacrifice is negligible, then don't expect that to impress the Lord. When we give minimally out of our abundance, only what we think we can spare, what we're saying to God is, God, you're not as important to me as my money is. God, I don't, I don't quite trust you to take care of my needs as much as I trust my bank account to take care of my needs. Instead of writing on our money in God we trust, perhaps we should write on God in our money we trust. We become idolaters, putting some other God before 
the Lord God of the universe. Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. So when is more really less? More is less when it represents anything other than all we have. If we want to please the Lord of the treasury, we have to give all that we have. Now wait a minute, wait a minute, you say, uh, I thought we were only supposed to give a tenth, isn't that right? A tenth sounds like a, a lot when we're, when we're talking about the other side of the equation, but now I'm talking about all that we have, that tenth seems pretty attractive, doesn't it? Which is it then? Is it a tenth of what we have or everything we have? Well, let me explain. The word tithe means tenth. One-tenth, ten percent of what we have. And a tithe of our first fruits is a demonstration of our recognition that everything we have really belongs to God. It's, it's a symbol of that. It's a representation of that. God allows us in His grace to be the stewards or the managers of what's left. But remember, even that isn't ours. Even what God lets us use how we desire is not really ours, it's His. And if you think God isn't watching how we handle His money, listen to what Jesus says in Luke's Gospel. Chapter 16, Jesus says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now some people will protest and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, all that tithing stuff, that's Old Testament. That, that's, that's law, and we're under grace, right? Well, anytime you hear someone say that, you know you're talking to someone who doesn't really understand the New Testament. Trust me on this, as one who has spent his entire adult life studying, interpreting, and proclaiming the New Testament, the Bible consistently, Old Testament and New, teaches that God expects His people to give a tenth of their first fruits of all their increase as a sign of their devotion to Him. And because of that, I've always done it. Even before Paul and I got married, we both did that. God led us together, perhaps, because we had that commitment. Even in the lean years, back in seminary days, when we were scraping to get by, if the check was 100, we would always give at least 10. And God always provided for us with what was left. We were going to a huge church in Texas at the time, and I guess somebody must have noticed because they asked me, given that $10, to give a tithing testimony in front of the, the big church, if you will. And I didn't always agree with the way those in charge were using that money. I was paying attention. I was a seminary student, after all, and and I wondered why they would 
dedicate or spend money on this when I thought it ought to go over there for that. But God graciously revealed to me that my responsibility was to give it. Those who manage it have the responsibility for their stewardship of it. And there's a, quite a sobering passage about that, a verse right before what we just read as our text. In verse 40, Jesus is talking about the scribes, and the, the scribes were, received their, their income, their living, from uh, those who were a part of the congregation, I guess you might say. And they would take money from the poorest of the poor. And Jesus says in verse 40, They devour widows' houses, and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Those who administer what others give will be held accountable by God. And that's a sobering verse to me as a pastor of a congregation. I don't control all of that, but I, I have influence in that. And it's, it's my commitment to try to be the very best steward that I can be and use that influence to do God's work with His money that you put into His treasury. So, I like what James Lewis Craft said. He he was the founder of Kraft Foods. He was a very generous giver to many godly causes, but he said, I don't believe in tithing, but it's a good place to start. The tithe is the starting point, the, the minimum, given to the local church, by the way. God says at the end of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 3, bring the tithes into the storehouse. I understand the storehouse to be Christ's church where God stores His resources for distribution to the world, spiritual and otherwise. And so you can give beyond that. That's what we would call an offering. goes beyond the, the minimum. Grace giving, some call it. Giving over and above. Giving to special causes like the well or or Baptist Collegiate Ministries, or Samaritan's Purse, or Feed the Children, or Promise Keepers, or Young Life, or even Friends in Need. But the tithe belongs in God's church. That's how God accomplishes His ministry, through His church. And so, you may have received a letter week before last with uh, some information about how God's church here at Central is doing. And in that letter was a, a card that looks like this. It's an estimate of giving card. And we're being asked to try to estimate what we might be able to contribute to God's work through the ministry plan of the church, the budget of the church in the coming fiscal year. And then we're going to next week have a ministry plan commitment Sunday when we will bring these with us and we'll drop them into boxes up here that are secured uh, that will be opened up by our financial secretary in the office and tallied up to try to help the board uh, formulate next year's ministry plan, if you will, budget. We'll have extras of these in here too if you didn't get the letter or if you've lost yours or even if you've already sent it in. Uh, 
our, our secretary told me some have already sent them in. But if you're here next week and, and want to bring it to the front, just fill out another one. We'll know that you're not doubling up on us. Just go ahead and do that. So pray about that. That's why I'm talking about this today. Pray about what God is calling on you to do. It's between you and the Lord. God is going to bless us here no matter what. Whatever we have, we will use for God's work and God's service. But I hope that you want to be in on it, that you want to be a part of it. Does all that talk about money make you a little uncomfortable? And you could hear a pin drop. <laughs> I suspect so. Well, did you know that Jesus said more about money than any other subject other than the kingdom of God? And you know why he did that? It's because money is such a representation of what we value, what we do with it, what we spend it on. It reveals where our hearts are. And more than anything else, we're more inclined to be devoted to our money and what it can buy than devoted to God. Our money is often the last thing we surrender, the last thing we entrust to God. Because it represents to us a security, a power, or influence, or whatever the case may be. But until God is the God of your bank account, your investment portfolio, your pension, whatever the case may be, then He's never really going to be the God of your life. Your giving is a reflection of your spiritual growth and maturity and devotion to God. And God sees that. So what does your giving say about your devotion to God this morning? Our Lord Jesus was moved by the gift of this one poor widow, more so than all of the extravagant offerings of the wealthy givers. And I could tell you a story or two about widows sacrificing, but I wouldn't be able to keep from getting emotional when I do. I wonder if Jesus might have been a bit emotional as he shared this with these disciples of his that represent us. How pleased he is to see such love, such devotion, such commitment. I'll tell you a story about one. I happened to notice this story 25 Four years ago now, I guess, it was in the September 29th, 1999 edition of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. I was living in Texas at the time. It caught my attention. It was an article about Osceola McCarty, a 91-year-old black washerwoman from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, who decided in 1995 to give her life savings of $150,000 practically every dollar she ever made, the article said, to the University of Southern Mississippi to help fund scholarships for poor children. She herself had been an only child. She had outlived all of her relatives. She lived a solitary, quiet life in Hattiesburg, going out only to buy groceries and attend worship services at the Friendship Baptist Church, where you can be sure she was a giver. This $150,000, that was grace giving on her part. 
She was pictured on the front page of the paper with a Bible in her hand. Because, you see, her giving was motivated by her faith and her devotion to God. God saw her gift. And God saw to it that a lot of other folks did too. Ms. McCarty didn't want any attention, but she got it anyway. She was awarded the Presidential Citizens Medal. It's the nation's second highest civilian award. The President of the United States gave it to her. She was honored by the United Nations. She was given an honorary doctorate from Harvard University. She flew on an airplane for the very first time in her life. She got to carry the Olympic torch through part of Mississippi in 1996. And that New Year's Eve, she was the one who got to throw the switch that dropped the ball in Times Square. She said it was the first time in her life she'd ever stayed up past midnight. <laughs> her sacrificial gift was what motivated the multi-billionaire Ted Turner to give a billion dollars to the United Nations. He said, if that little woman can give away everything she has, then I can give a billion. And Ms. McCarty once said, in these interviews she had related to all this, she said, there's a lot of talk about self-esteem these days. It seems pretty basic to me. If you want to feel proud of yourself, you've got to do things you can be proud of. Now there's some wisdom for you. Three days before that article was published in the Star-Telegram, on Sunday, September 26, 1999, Ms. McCarty died of liver cancer. And although that remarkable gift she gave gained for her before she died a heaping helping of the praise of men, it was only after she died that she found out how sweet it is to have the praise of God. As God spoke those coveted words to her, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come into the joy of your master. Are you giving God the pennies, the leftovers, the spare change of your life? Or does God get the first fruits, the very best? As you demonstrate your full obedience, love, and devotion to Him. That's the question we have to ask ourselves this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we are so blessed. <laughs> we live in one of the wealthiest places, the wealthiest nations on earth. You've demonstrated uh, again and again and again your ability to take care of us. And yet, so often, we place more of our trust in our, in our checkbooks than we do in the good book. Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us for that, that you would inspire us by your Holy Spirit to demonstrate our love for you and our desire to do your work through faithful stewardship. Open our eyes to see the need all about us in our world. We pray, God, that we would be good stewards, that, that your money that passes through our hands would save souls, 
would comfort the brokenhearted, would minister to those who are hungry and thirsty, who are outcasts. God, I pray that as we do, you would look into our hearts and see how much we love you, how much we want to serve you in this place. For your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a